All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. What up, y'all? It's Laia, and welcome to another QLS Classic. This episode is all about a pioneering DJ and record label owner named Giles Peterson. He talks about the politics of early pirate radio, how he broke artists like Jamiroquai, brand new heavies, and even the roots, and his passion for helping the right music find the right audience. He is so dope. This episode was actually taped Roots Picnic Weekend, uh, June 28th, 2017. This is episode 38. Enjoy. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Want y'all to know, yeah, I'm being sincere. Yeah, that without Giles Peterson, yeah, I would not be here. That was nice. My name is Fonte. Yeah, I say it proud. Yeah, one of my favorite labels was talking loud. Sugar, yeah. I got that style. Yeah. I got that smile. Yeah. What's up, child? Suprema, roll call. I'm Arte Bill. Yeah. Y'all don't know me. Yeah. We in Philly. Yeah. Hoagie. Suprema, roll call. Mark Bill present. Yeah. yeah. On this call of roll. Yeah. Quest Love Supreme. Yeah. Will make you whole. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. It's Laia. Yeah. And I'm feeling right. Yeah. Goddamn Giles Peterson. Yeah. Worldwide. Roll call. Suprema. 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 Roll call. 
My name is Joao. Yeah. Gilles Peterson. Yeah. Je suis français. Yeah. But I come from London. Bilingual roll call. Woo. That was some pimp Wait, shit right there. So we, let's all admit that we didn't think that none of our roll call moments were going to be hot, but there <laughs> were some, was there were some Busta Rhymes stealing <laughs> moments in this roll call. We had three, row, row. at least three of them. First uh, time I seen Steve smile, so whatever. For real. That's amazing. The call of roll. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Quest Love Supreme. Only on Pandora. And our special guest today, I have to say, uh, he exemplifies the role of my favorite person in music. And that's the music, that's the tastemaker. Um, the tastemaker would be the guy that was in the know of what you didn't know about music. And it would spread, sort of like, uh, what's, a, what's a good term for virus? I, I was, that was Viral? virus. Uh, <laughs> Is like there a, a positive like virus? A, like a like fungus? An outbreak? Or an an outbreak? infection? Hold on. Yeah, but all these, were, all these medical terms. Like a thinking like, man meme. <laughs> they're, like, <laughs> they're, they're like negative connotations. Like his influence spread like a virus. A it's like a trend. Yeah, I mean, because they even use the term like viral now, like viral marketing. You're right. You know, okay. You know I mean? So, in a, Giles yes, is a virus. Giles is my favorite vir- vir- virus of all time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have to say that if it weren't for Giles Peterson um, taking our organic CD and playing it in, in clubs in London way before, you know, back when it was just a demo. Um, that really started the buzz on on the roots being here today, and us wanting to move to London and kind of bringing us to where we are now. So, uh, one of my favorite people ever, literally. This is Giles Peterson, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Giles. Yeah, Giles. Now you're on my radio show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you named my show Worldwide, I know, worldwide right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. Well, thank thank you for. Uh, Oh God! This is going to be a whole bunch of things. Yeah, thank you guys. Tell us the story. Tell us the story behind that. Um. So, okay. So what I'll say is that, okay. As of what what makes this day really truly special, uh, even though we're not specifically getting on dates and time period, but as of this recording, this specific day that we're on, this was the Saturday, uh, twenty five years ago, that when Tariq and I were watching Soul Train, and saw that Spike Lee commercial. Of the bucket drummer, chocolate playing on yeah, that, yeah. that oh, Levi's commercial, yes. we looked at each other and like, yo, why don't we do that? So today, as we speak, is the 25th anniversary of the Roots as you know it. Not the oh, we formed in high school and did some talent shows, but like when we got buckets, went to South Street and Buskin. start busking. Yeah, and and we we were Square Roots, and you know, I'll say that. In, I, I guess I'll say in 12 or 13 weeks later, this is when we started the process of recording the Organics demo, which then really material, 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 it materialized into uh, a, a CD 
so that we could go to Europe and sell it uh, on some festivals that we were invited to. And somehow it made its way to Giles, who um, we were told would play it in nightclubs, which was like really weird for us because I thought the nightclub was the last place that the roots would ever <laughs> wind up in. Dance flow killers. I used yes. to play the, the session. That was like 30 minutes long. I know. I, I was like, version. see, I played over here and it clears the floor instantly. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Giles' pos- position, um, I'll say that he was my generation's John Peel. John Peel mm, was the cat yeah, in BBC. London who... You know, he took a chance on unknown groups. He lets you know who this unknown named Elvis Costello was or or who The Clash was. And <laughs> Steve fricked up. S- Steve now writes for Elvis Costello. Um, so basically, I mean, that that was the role. And then when we met, um, we we thought that we were going to sign to Giles's uh, parent label, uh, Talking loud. Talking loud. Well, we signed to Talking Loud, but we were going to sign to Polygram. And then by a strange twist of fate, uh, it became Geffen, but we still maintained the relationship with Giles Peterson to release our very first uh, EP, like world widely distributed EP, which was uh, from the ground up uh, on his label. And, you know, we lived over there. So, wait, what I, wa- what I want to ask about. Is what you showed us in London during that time period that the Roots, quote unquote, exiled uh, to London was there was such a scene going on. And we basically took that scene and reproduced it in America. We took everything that we saw you do and did it over here. So the idea of like clubs having multiple rooms of different DJs playing. You know the the jam band uh, on the top floor and the the disco floor was the third floor and the the you know the techno music was on the second floor and the soul music was on the first floor. Like, is that still prevalent now in London as it once was? Is there is this still a scene or are you like the, one of the last Mohicans still holding up I think the tradition? That, I think that's bigger than ever, really. Um, Really? Yeah, because I hear some people just it's like ah, it's not the same anymore as it's it used massive. to be. I think it's like I think it's just a bit more DIY. I think that sort of the super clubs came along and people sought sought to make something out of it bigger, and people reacted to that. And I think that nowadays, if you go anywhere from Leeds to Manchester, Bristol, London on a Saturday night, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of big raves, parties with alternative music being played in different rooms. And also, there's actually a return to a live element, which did go away for a little while. And I think that certainly at the moment in London and uh, the south of England, there's a very strong live really? impro jazz scene. We, we can come back home now? Mate, honestly, it's, it's, really, it's very interesting at the moment. You know, I think that... Um, Maybe maybe it's more towards the jazz side of things with what Kamasi did and, and right. the fact that that sort of energy has kind of come over. And then from the UK point of view, a huge set of musicians, groups like Sons of Kemet and groups like, uh, you know, artists like New Buyer, Moses Boy. There's a lot of musicians going on and, and there's a really good community, which there hasn't been for a while. So the, the club culture's always been there. That's really where I come from. I'm sort of a DJ, club culture, acid house, acid jazz, raves, Germany, France, residencies all over the place, playing this kind of slightly alternative view of dance music. Because, you know, when I grew up, the 
I'd go to, I used to go, when I was 17, 16, I'd go to sort of weekenders in horrible holiday resorts, which were empty in winter, and four or 5,000 people would come from all over the country to listen to groups like Roy Ayers come over, or the Fatback Band, or, or you know, um, Clear, or, oh, wow. you know, artists like Leroy Burgess would come to the UK, and they would, and we would celebrate that music, and, and, and there'd be, and there'd be a main room, and they'd be playing sort of, you know, all these big tunes from Summer Madness by Calling the Gang to I Found Loving by the Fat Bat Band. And then there'd be an, another room at the back where you'd be hearing DJs. I mean, that's the first time I heard John Coltrane impressions. wasn't in a jazz club. It was basically in the back of some sort of restaurant in some depleted holiday resort near Norwich mm-hmm. on the North Sea. Right. And there's a DJ called Bob Jones playing um, um, impressions or maybe Giant Steps by John Coltrane at full volume with... 20 people dancing to it battling like like b-boys like you know so that and when i saw that i was like this is what i want i love this music i was going to say didn't you once tell me the the uh fonte that the the most the most daring thing you ever saw was a dj who played return to forever in a nightclub it was was it in london or it wasn't in london it was in chicago and it was uh god it was detroit guy theo Um, parish yep Theo Parrish. Okay. It was Theo Parrish. Because I was going to say, <laughs> the, the the first time that I saw at Iceni, I, someone went back and forth on like the first 16 bars of Love Supreme, oh, wow. where they're really grooving. And that was one of my open my eye-opening moments. Like, oh, like anything, if it's groovable, you can play it. Because I would never think like, it has a groove, but I didn't think it was danceable. And I wasn't ever going to try that, take that risk here in the United States. I mean, we had like, you know, King Brit and, and Dazia and those guys um, had a little scene in Philadelphia. But even then, there was no place for me to really test it out to see if it would work. But once I started going to uh, Iceni and all those like, those Soul Kitchen clubs over there yeah, and seeing you guys do that, that was... That's what told me, like, oh, anything is playable if you play the right part and if you do it at the right time. So for you, when you were observing these things and, and going to uh, these clubs, were you was this in the revival stage or was it in the first round? Like when when you were first going to clubs, like how what year was it? Um, we're talking 1980. We're talking cameo. You know, um, so you were in the first draft, not in the revival draft of like 89, 90, because by that point, then yeah. you would 80, establish- 81, 82. I mean, there were some British groups as well. There was a very interesting jazz funk scene in the UK. So there was groups like uh, Light of the World, High Tension, Incognito. These are the groups that kind of precursed groups like Loose Ends and Soul to Soul, which came about seven or eight years later. Mm-hmm. So there was a really strong level 42. I was a huge yeah. level 42 fan. I used to go and see them everywhere. I used to love Mark King, who I met recently for the first time, the bass player. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. wonderful guy. Wonderful. And what underrated vocal. Underrated voice. And I used to love that. So for me, there was the kind of, on one hand, there was this sort of fan of the band thing. And I'd go around like a 
you know, you follow your favorite band. It was also a time of punk as well. It was just post-punk, you know. So there was that thing where you kind of, uh, were you a punk or were you a soul boy? And I'd had to make my decision about what I wore and how I dressed. I was one of only three soul boys in my school. The rest of the people in so my... So was that like being an outcast? An outcast, for, for real. The only reason So was it only for black people and not... Yeah, it was kind of uh, more working class inner London people, you know, like the urban, urban people right. would be into it. And and so for me, I had an Indian friend at school and a black uh, African friend at school. We were the three soul boys. And the only reason I didn't get beaten up was because I was in the rugby team. <laughs> <laughs> and by being a sporting guy in the school, it kind of gave me certain st- status yeah, yeah. and swagger. Okay. Now Peter's going to bust that ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, up. this means nothing to them over here. <laughs> Um, so who was, when you were listening to radio, and I know that pirate radio yeah. was a big thing, uh, when when did the idea of pirate radio start in London? Well, Was that always a thing, like even in the 50s and no, 60s? No, in the, in the 60s it came from the boats, so they used to, and it was on medium waves. There was so a movie about that, that was really good. There was a movie about yeah. it, yeah. And that was basically, they'd go out and they'd sort of go in neutral waters in the North Sea where they wouldn't get busted and they'd broadcast on medium wave. And they basically, that was what Radio Luxembourg was. And that radio station kind of gave the birth, was the reaction to that by the BBC was to set up Radio 1. Okay. Mm. And that was how Radio 1 became a non-talk sort of station because up until that point, the BBC was controlling radio and it was very classical opera, old school, you know, old fashioned. That's what I was about to ask you, is terrestrial radio different over there than here? Because by now you know... Yeah. differences yeah. in commercial radio. Well, FM radio started kicking off in the 70s because all these radio stations in the beginning were like on medium wave and that's where the pirate stations that really interested me, they were on FM. There was only a few stations locally so like here you'll have, I don't know, maybe in Philly, how many would there be? 20? Ur- well, like urban, st- like we have yeah. R&B and hip hop stations yeah. so let's say we have two. Okay, but if you include all the other types of uh, oh. denominations, like 20, 20? St- 20 stations. Yeah. So in London, there'd have been, back in the 70s, there'd have been maybe two commercial radio stations on FM. And so maybe three with the BBC would be playing a little bit, maybe we'd be sort of doubling up on FM and on medium wave. The point was there was a need for music to be heard. And so they weren't giving licenses out. So these people, at a time when CB radio was quite popular, remember that? That was kind of, uh, <laughs> it was illegal in the UK, CB radio. It wasn't right. over here because of your long distance lorry drivers. But over there it was illegal. And you get, you see, if you knew a bloke who could build you a CB rig, they could also build you an FM rig. And so what happened was we started finding out that these guys could build us FM transmitters. And then the station started popping up in the 70s, of which there was one sole jazz funk station called Radio and Victor 92.4 that used to broadcast every Sunday from midday until 6. Is that where, where 279 started or DJ's 279? No, no, this That's is a, way before that. Okay, okay, this is way before that. And that was the first station that I would listen to. I would listen to it in the in in the bathroom of my house because that was the only place in the house that I could pick up the signal. And sometimes it would go on and suddenly at 4.30 in the afternoon it would get busted and it would be off. And it would be off for two weeks and you'd be waiting every week for it to come back on because it was the only place you could hear jazz funk music. The other place was there was a disco show on a Friday night called The Best Disco in Town presented by Greg Edwards live from the Lyceum. And then the other show was on a Saturday afternoon from midday to two presented by Robbie Vincent who did a pro uh, and the section that I loved from his show was the Jazz Funk 40 and he used to play Japanese Jazz Funk records and he'd play things like you know Yellow Magic um, Orchestra 
was open and fire and but the offbeat. Oh, oh, That's when I first first time I ever heard the Jones Girls. Nights over Egypt was on Robbie Vincent, and it was Christmas, whatever, nineteen eighty two or three, whatever that was. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Right. And 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 he played it twice on the same show. It was that good a tune, and I'll never forget. In fact. When I played at the Roots Picnic the other day, mm-hmm. when I was over here, I played that track as a memory to him. The connection between Philly and my pirate radio roots. But anyway, basically at that time, it was just literally FM radio stations of which some were pirates and you would get busted every, every couple of weeks. So two questions. How much would it cost to start a pirate radio station? Well, I started my own pirate radio station. Oh, it was just that DIY. It was that easy. So oh, you don't need a boat. Okay. No, no, this is <laughs> FM because by then it's FM. Sorry, I didn't okay. explain that. So, but in the when it was medium wave, it was on a boat, and then in the seventies, all you needed was you needed a, an aerial, a transmitter, a car battery, a cassette player, and a high point, right? And if you were if you were smart in London, you had the keys. Yeah, there was four keys that opened up every council block. Right, every like uh, block in London, mm-hmm. right? Um, free, you know, cheap accommodation block in London. So right. any high spot, if you had those four keys, you could get on every rooftop. So I had the four keys. Really, I got right? The keys, I had the, the, keys, keys. the keys. So that's how I got to know London. That's how I got to know London because I started off by I finally got my show myself because I sat at my little pirate station. It cost me fifty pounds to get a rig. Uh, my dad used to take me to, to up the road to Epsom where they have the horse racing, which is a high point in South London, and he basically helped me put the aerial up on a tree, connect the aerial to the transmitter, transmitter to the car battery, car battery, and um, transmitter also to a cassette player that would play a C90. And the forty-five minutes side A was my show, which I recorded in my garden shed, and I wanted to be a guy called Robbie Vincent who I mentioned before and the other 45 was my next door neighbour called Ross Tinsley but otherwise known as Ross Travone that was his radio name and he wanted to be John Peel and basically that was the hour and a half that we'd broadcast from a tree and then we'd, we'd leave a phone number on the cassette of the recording which was the phone box by the tree and so we'd go <laughs> we'd press play go off in the phone box all three of us with my dad um, and, uh, and then we'd, and we'd get one phone call that was the request we, line one phone call <laughs> but that was enough that so, was enough so to you carry on. So you pre-record your show, that, it, but yeah, and then go to the okay. Rock, yeah. Did all private DJs pre-record their shows? Or well, no, <laughs> well then if unless you were on Radio and Victor, because Radio okay. and Victor was one of the well-known ones, and the only soul station, the one that inspired me to get my rig, and they got busted one week by the Home Office. Now how, that was my second question. Yeah. How do you get busted? Well, they used to go around with a little team of guys with special equipment, and they'd literally find the studio, or they'd find the aerial, and they'd come up there, you know, and they're sort of, you know, imagine sort of, you know, sixties looking policemen, right. you know, working for the DTI, um, the, the you know the the government. Uh, what was the punishment? Um, you'd get all your gear, you'd get fined, and uh, no one got sent to prison. <laughs> See you next week. Yeah. It was a small, but you know, they didn't have a lot of budget for the DTI for this particular sort of department. Mm. <laughs> so there's only one guy who's called Eric. Eric Gotts was the main guy because he got, he became legendary. This, the guy who'd bust all the stations, especially right. as pirate radio became bigger and bigger. Because this is kind of the early days, the late 70s. It was still quite naive and sweet and, and lovely. But then by the mid 80s, it started becoming a little bit cleverer and people started becoming 24 hours and advertisers started coming into it. Mm. And then you were more likely to get busted by another pirate than by Eric 
That's what they want. They want eating stations. That's when I got out of the game, right? Because it got because then you had to carry stuff. Yeah, it got a little bit dangerous at that point, but it was quite an interesting time and very exciting time for me. But initially, I got onto Radio Invicta because they got busted, and they I said, and that the guy who built my equipment built their equipment. So I said to my guy, they can have my equipment as long as they give me a show. And they said, we'll give you a show, but first of all, you've got to spend the next six months putting arrows up for us. So that's how I kind of went up the pirate radio status list. And, uh, and you know, that was that. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So compared to what we have now in the United States, yeah, which is total corporate radio, and I mean, even being on Pandora is kind of my version of the middle finger pirate radio thing where we get to determine the type of music we want to play and the guests we have. Um, you know, since 1997, uh, business corporations have totally taken over um, radio. And, but I look at how London has operated and now you're legit. You're on BBC, a government station. Um, is it still half a dozen 
six eggs and half a dozen and and, and the other like to you what is I know I I totally yeah we need a up, we need a sound up effect up for, <laughs> for cliche for cliche busters. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is for government radio, like I look at you guys over the pond and I'm like, well, government control radio is better because you know it's required that you play a variety of things. Um, you know, the idea of one artist getting. Uh, 40 spins a day like corporate radio uh doesn't exist everyone gets their fair share but look at our but then government, if though. you get our government yeah, then you really fucked that kind of negates everything it's right all ted nugent kid rock 25 hours a day so that ball, said cat scratch fever like do you well, that's the beauty of the bbc in a way and and the, and the fact that the bbc is always having to struggle to be a kind of neutral yet creative um body um at a time when they have to give equal um, f- fairness to, to commercial stations. So the, the beautiful thing about the, about the UK, I think, in terms of broadcasting and, and, and the BBC is that, um, you know, you can get the arty left field really creative weird shit on the BBC. But the BBC also has its kind of commercial end. So because it knows it has to compete with the commercial stations. I don't know if I'm making myself particularly Mm, clear, but that balance between the BBC maintaining a presence, yet also constantly um, being progressive with the art of radio. And for me, one of the people that was an incredible inspiration to me, as you mentioned earlier on, of course, was John Peel. And John Peel changed the way radio was because he was on the BBC. And up until that point, it was still very old fashioned guys on the radio broadcasting in that kind of way that you could imagine, you know, you had to wear a suit, Winston and, Churchill, kind yeah. of the war type stuff. You right. know? And up until then, it was still, you know, even up until the Beatles, it was still kind of very conservative. But when John Peel came along, of course, there'd been a few people before him and some pirates and stuff on the, on the boat stations but but basically John Peel was he broke he changed the rules of broadcasting and he said you can play um, you know television this new group from New York next to um, Sly and the Family Stone next to a punk record that someone just sent me do you know what I mean he basically Mm -hmm. and the way he presented radio he basically said you don't have to do it that way you can do it a different way and he had a huge influence which may which remains um, an important part of why the BBC has um, a certain standard that he that he said needs to be kept up. Did commercial radio take heed? Because I know you said in the beginning it was only for you, you know, but now present day, have they taken heed from the BBC and? What is it like now? Like, is there a few soul stations on the commercial radio side? There's dance stations. Okay. And and if you want to go more specialist, really specialist, I mean, there's, you know, there's a jazz station that's quite conservative straight up. Not bad, you know, but I mean, there's nothing. If you want anything edgy, anything that really the kids are into, the commercial stations are never going to be able to react to trend fast enough. So that's why the pirates are always coming along because there's always going to be a new type of music or culture to represent because the main they, the mainstream stations try and keep up you know um, I mean the BBC has its own R&B network called One Extra I'm on a station called BBC Six Music which is kind of for the over 30 year olds which is kind of cool when did that happen I'm like what yeah but in a way I was quite lucky to to find myself on there because it's a cross between sort of uh, what what I'm about and what someone like John Peel's about. So they kind of, it's quite progressive, experimental, interesting music. I know experimental. It's just like, it's the most 
out there um it's where you could hear the roots records being played every day you know more likely than on a pop station or on a commercial station so for you is it more important to be the first to bring you Kendrick Lamar the first to bring you a uh, new singer from America Lauren Hill or is it like what are your goals because all of it well I know I got a cat like uh I want your exclusive. <laughs> Come I know, in. I know, but a guy like uh, um, Garth Fresh of the Week. Oh. Fresh of the Week. Uh, what? Uh, their Funkmaster Flex. Uh, oh, uh, Tim, Tim Westwood. Westwood. Oh. Westwood. Now, no, Westwood has his sets on being the Funkmaster Flex, which... It's nostalgia, though. People like Westwood have nostalgia. It's nostalgia. Now. They're not in the now. Well, that's crazy. No, but see, that's weird because the Westwood I'm referring to was the 1996, 97. Okay, I know. I'm hearing myself speaking. No, that's 20 years ago. But back then, he was the, you know, playing the news, the today hip-hop, the street hip-hop, and kind of uh, taking a different stance on underground or stuff that he would deem too old school, even though he came up in that era. But my whole point was that I saw him more as a Funkmaster Flex uh, guy who, you know, where he's the celebrity. He, you know, it's it's about him. Whereas I see you as wanting to, to still be a tastemaker and put people on to stuff that they don't know about. Like, you know, I, I think when you first played, a, I think I heard you on the air when you first introduced uh, UFO. On, 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 you know, when they first debuted, like this is back in like 90s. The Japanese UFOs. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, to me, I feel, I'm asking, do you feel better as a tastemaker or do you feel you'll get more done if you were the celebrity DJ? It's interesting. To- it's a bit of a combination of all elements in a way. I mean, my role is to, on one hand, fundamentally excite myself. You know, I don't really care about my audience in that sense. I mean, in the sense that... Yeah. As, as long as don't tell yeah. them that. Please, Giles. Don't tell <laughs> them No, but I do care about yeah. it. No, no, no. Yeah. No, Giles. Yeah. Yeah. When you overthink That's what I it, mean. it's wrong. Me. You can't overthink me. it. Me. Me. No, Prepare for a 15-minute drum solo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if it feels right, do it. You know, the thing is, for me, it's, it's, it's always interesting because I think that um, people get off on your energy. And your energy is your um, authentic feeling. And as a broadcaster, I buzz on new music. I buzz on discovering old music that I'd never heard before where there's an incredible story. Um, I buzz on playing some classics because I like a bit of nostalgia. But fundamentally, it's it's that mixture of all those elements with entertainment as part of it. So someone like Westwood, incredible broadcaster, Mm -hmm. changed a generation. People grew up on him. And, and his radio show. Mm-hmm. And he brought a certain aesthetic of hip-hop to a UK audience. And he did it incredibly well. On the other hand, you could say, well, where's your legacy? What did you break? What did you do for UK hip-hop? Why were you so influenced by American music? Why has it taken 20 years for grime to finally come through and for UK hip-hop fundamentally to actually finally have its name out there and to be doing something? Because French hip-hop was way ahead. Mm-hmm. Different language. I mean, as you know, it, you know, it took a long time. So I think there was certain 
powers that held it back. And I think that's a shame. And my viewpoint, as somebody who's also been very much part of the music industry, as you know, because we work together and all that sort of stuff, I feel that, you know, Britain has a lot to to shout about musically. The UK is a unique place. You know, from going back to the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin, through punk music, through all the different elements of dance music, from dubstep to drum and bass, to broken beat. And I think that it's this unique um, mixture of people and the club culture that makes sure that music is constantly reinventing itself and there's always something new coming up. And that's why, for me, being on the radio, it's easy. You know, it's easy because at the end of the day, there'll be a, there'll be a James Blake. There'll be, you know, James Blake will come along or a Mount Kimby will come along. There'll always be something mm-hmm. happening. You're not, you know, there's never a time when you're like going, oh God, there's not been anything interesting for two or three years. So for me as a tastemaker, that makes it um, easy for me to be a tastemaker because there's so much great stuff to be able to shout about. So do you feel, uh, okay, I'm thinking of like Benji. Like, who do you feel, if you were to stop right now, and I don't mean morbidly, like death or whatever, <laughs> if you decide, I've had enough, I've, I've done it, my work is done, how many disciples of yours do you fully trust will carry on the tradition that you have and in spreading tomorrow's music, supporting Britain's scene, keeping us educated on the past, because you got to do like three to four different things to to keep the the train running. Do you feel as though there are enough people that have the education and the will and the drive to to be the person that that meets you at the gate, the greeter, the tastemaker? Like, I think there's a they're all my children in the UK for sure. In the sense that you know, Dan um, Diggs. I, I listen to him. He he reminds me a lot of you. Uh, in LA, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I think Soul Action do some really great mm-hmm. stuff. I think Deviation do really great stuff. I think Boiler Room, you know, again, the guy who set up Boiler Room, Tristan, he was working with me, you know, for for eight mm-hmm. years, and then okay. he was like, oh, "I'm going to go and film us doing a gig down the road in Dalston," and that was Boiler Room. I think NTS, another really interesting digital radio station. Again, it was very much so. In, if you ask me who's coming through, there's a whole load of people with that certain attitude where on one hand they'll be playing an Omar Suleiman record or some abstract sort of record from the Congo released on Analog Africa and on the other hand they're going to be releasing playing some sort of you know uh, crazy Mickey Miller you know whatever, <laughs> which which I heard you chatting about last week um, yeah. so that that way of approach to music I think is really normal now I think that when there was a time when you played sort of this music in, in a mix it was a little bit abnormal today it's almost expected if you look at even you know you read Pitchfork or, or Resonant Advisor all these really important influential websites and, and, and new school um, writers of the culture it's about the eclecticism you know it's about having Rufus Harley on a Roots record I mean you were doing this years ago mm-hmm. you know and throwing it all together and 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 for me my big thing now at the age of 52 is it's about heritage and it's about the people that really took us here it's about Philip Coran in Chicago it's about Sun Ra it's about um, Jimmy Merritt here in Philadelphia, the bass player who wrote Nomo and played with Max Roach. For me, it's about putting a light on these people because without those guys, we wouldn't be here. And they put in so much work and some of them are still alive, you know, um, 
And, of course, people like Royez, still around. I mean, my God, those guys, they did so many gigs. And we're kind of, I don't know, for me personally, it's kind of like, it's payback time to those guys. And, and, and we've got to make sure that we use the power that we have and the means of influence that we have to shine a light on those people. Three people that I met when I was 22 years old, I'd just been picked up by Radio London because I was a young guy and I was playing jazz records in clubs. And I met three people in the space of one week or two weeks. Wayne Shorter, Jalal from The Last Poets, mm. and the jazz singer Mark Murphy. And mm. those three guys in the space of two weeks, they taught a young boy from South London who didn't know much about American culture. They taught me about the different elements of music within jazz, whether it was spirituality, whether it was more of a bohemian attitude, whether it was the civil rights. I got lessons from these three people in a very early, at a very early age. And that had a huge impact on me. And I want to be able to do the same thing for another generation of people to bring them closer to to the roots of the music and and uh, and away from the superficiality of big commercial corporations. Do you remember the first record you ever bought? The very first record you purchased? I purchased? Yeah. Um, I remember um, picking up a record. Um, I remember buying Blondie Denis by Blondie. I love that. That was um, e Electric Light Orchestra. Mr. Blue Sky. Okay. I was a bit prog rocky okay. at, at around 12, 13. You know, um, Caravan in the Land of Grey and Pink, brilliant record. Um, first sort of uh, record I bought. I mean, I was very thankful for my library in, in London where I lived in Sutton. They just had a new library and that's where you could sort of take home records. I don't know if they did that here in the States where you could borrow records. We do. You still do that. Half of those... Oh yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> myself. Yeah. That was sorry. <laughs> that was a good place anyway. Um so I, that's where I kind of heard a lot of, you know, I bought a Herbie Hancock. You know, really important record to me actually, Herbie Hancock, um uh, Mr. Hands 1980. Man. Huge Boom. record. Whoa. Yeah, huge record. You trying to bust me now? Right, right, right. so wait, who was I mean I, I know I say if if John Peel, and I'm using uh, American sports terms, you know, for every Michael Jordan, there's Piven. Oh yeah, there there's definitely ten or fifteen unsung heroes that will never get their props that were just as important or vital to the movement. But I mean, who was your John Peel when you were coming up? Like, who's the person that truly introduced you to music? Was it a school friend or whatever? Who started your obsession with collecting records? Yeah. Um, because you, you have, like, what's your collection up to now? I don't know. I don't count. You stop counting. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's three houses. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. Or three properties. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I keep getting pushed out by my wife. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, for me, it was uh, it was um, my friend Andrew Crossley's sister, 14 years old I went to his house and she had a copy of Maze live in New Orleans she had a copy of Bobby Caldwell What You Won't Do For Love the album um, that's when, when I first heard Earth, Wind & Fire all in all I think it was around then that I'd hear Brazilian Rhyme and, and Fantasy all those songs I mean that blew my mind I hadn't heard that on the radio in, in the UK the most amazing music ever Maze was big for me I remember going to see Maze all the time they used to come to London play at the Hammersmith Odeon yeah who would, who would come to who from the States would come 
Depends. When you were, when you were, I, I'll, I'll never forget seeing Cameo. Cameo, disappointingly, because they they were doing their rock thing at the time, and I really wanted them to do this sort of slap bass yeah. thing at that right. time. Um, but still, I mean, yeah, they were all coming. A lot of those groups were coming. And, uh, you know, a lot of the jazz funk bands, you know, people like Lonnie Liston Smith would come, you know, this sort of slightly offbeat, less... There was a Motown scene for the more traditional stuff. That wasn't really what I was into. I was more into the jazz funk thing. So you weren't into the North... What, can you explain to me Northern Soul? Oh my gosh, that's so deep. Northern yeah. Soul is okay. Well, I mean, it's like all the field. everything, man. <laughs> uh, daylight, daybreak, daybreak. Yeah, tune-wise, tune, yeah. I mean, it's really sort of um, the UK was very into Motown and soul. You know, mm -hmm. all of that. Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson, the sixties yeah. stuff. That was big, and that was big, and that was that got played on the radio. And there were clubs, and you know, there was there was stuff going on, and they come over to the UK. Um, the DJ club scene started happening in the 60s and 70s in the north as well as it was in the south. But in the north of England, they basically had a slightly different taste and they didn't want to play the obvious Motown records. So they went and found the records that sounded like Motown records but were hard to find. And that's really what Northern Soul was. And it's a certain tempo. It's quite high tempo. There's some amazing songs. Mm -hmm. It's basically, you know, um, it's, it's Discogs... 40 years ago you know they were pulling out the rarest local songs they'd just guys who'd come and they'd they'd realized that the music from america was local you know so there's there were the major labels that would release all the big records but if you went to st louis or you went to dallas or and you just went to the local record shops they, they'd hear local music where there was maybe a thousand copies ever pressed just for the the local market, and that's really what Northern Soul kind of was. It was about going in, See, like Numero Group, for example, labels mm -hmm. like that. It's just going in that much deeper. And some of the music, of course, there's so much music. That's the other thing that, um, just to answer you from earlier on about what drives me, how much music is there? I thought ten years ago I was like, yeah, I've got most of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> what percent? Even what? now, as you speak, there's stuff that. You still? I'm spending so to make much now. music on records at the moment, like old records. Not because I've, I'm earning more, you know, but right. because I'm just, I'm excited. And there's so many more record shops and really great experts now. You can go anywhere in the world, and you'll find a place which is where there's going to be someone who's going to invite you to their house. Maybe it's not in a shop anymore. Now it's a more bespoke record dealer that exists, right? Yeah, where you go to their crib and. Yeah, there's a lot of those cats. But they're good, man, because they do all the work for you. I mean, but I don't have time. they see me coming like, well, yeah, I you... know they're overcharging <laughs> me for some no, shit. No, no, you've got to accept that. It's going to be 25% over for you. But you will get some good stories. And those guys, for their role as as great bespoke record sort of finders, right. they if they're really good at their job, they'll tell you the story. For example, recently there's a guy called Victor Kiswell in Paris. I think you might well have been to his house. I know Victor Kiswell. And yeah, he gave well. me a record the other day, and it was in Russian. Right, and and it was all in Russian, and it was from the Ukraine from the seventies, and it was a Ukrainian big band version of a Fela Kuti song. What? Right? What? Right? Shakara. Right? What? Right? Exactly. And you don't Wait, know. Time out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Right, and uh, and and he had gone to the to the point of translating Russian to find out more about the record. Then he realized it was Felakuti and stuff, and then he kind of listened to the track, and halfway through there's a little riff that comes in, and it's Shikara by a Ukrainian big band in the mid-70s. Wow. That's what we want. Wow. That's what we need. That's what you need. <laughs> That's your food. I do. That's your food. 
It is. It is. <laughs> See, I. <laughs> Yo, right in this room, you used to. That guy used to come up here. It yeah, was, he it was like, it was like yeah, a, yeah. It was uh, like a fucking drug deal. He'd so, send me down. He'd like, can you let this dude in the front door? I go down there. I'm like, Amir's going to buy some drugs. He's talking about Gene Brown. Oh, so, I'm about to Gene. Yeah, so Gene. the dude would come up here and it would, they'd go back there and whispering. And guys are showing him all different kinds, like as if he had different kinds of weed. You know, he's like showing me. <laughs> I got these records from here. I got this, I got this, like, this one's 25. This one's 35. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's real shady shit. Man. The best, the best dealers they do the records and the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, to this day, Gene Brown is my professional shopper. See, that okay, that's the thing. It's like I still feel like you're actively getting your hands dirty. You're you're using elbow grease to search for the song that you don't got. You still actively dig. Like I almost feel even as I'm asking you about the comparisons between uh a Westwood and Appeal, I almost feel like I have to make myself personally a a corporation or a Westwood so that I can have peel moments. Like in order for this show to even happen, like I have to be Quest Love. Like I have to have a, a corporate day job life that's the total opposite of not what I stand for, but it's just like, you know, twenty five years ago, do you think I would be like on late night. Yeah, on late night. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you went from busking on the corner to late night, that's pretty yeah, fucking amazing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's my point. Like, I feel I almost have to Robin Hood my way to keep culture alive. I mean, if I really had the, the monetary uh, rolling in, the money rolling in to, to do even bigger things, quote, for the culture, I mean, I would, but it's like slow coming. But... It's it's like I feel that you still, you know, you'll 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 dig on websites and look up playlists. And like, how active are you still? I mean, there was a point where before Boss Bill was my ears. Like he would search for records for me and that sort of, because there's not enough hours in the. But day. you know, for you, you're a drummer, so your chops is like you know, you're playing, you're practicing, you're a musician, right? You're going out there, right? I'm a DJ, but I'm 19 other things too. Yeah. So it's no, no, almost like that's that's your prime your your prime role, and 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 uh, I mean you you just got to do your thing the way you do. You do such an amazing job of bringing culture to people to a new generation. I mean, you're the Quincy Jones of this generation. No, don't say that. <laughs> no, but in a way, you are because I think that you're the. Ah oh, man, but uh, because I think you probably have a comparable Rolodex. So yeah. many ways. You gotta do your back on the block, man. Yeah. You gotta no. do that. You saying that is super snarky. <laughs> no, I'm saying you gotta do your back. You gotta do your quest Melly love. Mel up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with his no, tank top on. No, I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, people listen to you. At the end of the day, I saw what you did in London, and said. By any means, which even the Roots Picnic is still an extension of like those places that we used to play in uh, 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 outside of London. Um, Brighton. Bright. Thank you for saying that. To me, that's that's the important thing. Like, I don't know why I, I think that way either. Like, OK, instead of like living the moment, I'm trying to think of what mark I can leave here when I die.
All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So besides DJing, I mean, you you develop probably one of the most important dance labels ever, which was Talking Loud. Um could you talk about your, like, when did you develop it and what made you want to... Well, you I, fir- I first started off as a pirate DJ and a club DJ um, from the age of 17, 18 um, by doing compilation albums. So my first thing was, like, the mixtape, but I used to do licensed tracks and compile them. So the first series I did was Jazz Juice. In fact, I think I am the world record holder of compilation, official compilation. Yes, you are. <laughs> sort of, uh, um, so I always wanted to be, like, close to Art Blakey, but from a DJ point of view in releases. So I managed to do that. And then I set up a pirate, um, a pirate station. I set up a, my own, my first record label, which was a label called Acid Jazz. And that label was Brand New Heavies, Galliano, Jamiroquai, and, and all of that stuff. Whoever they are. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was the beginning then. But you've got to remember, at that time... Um, Everyone used to go work. You know, it was like, it wasn't, you know, there was no scene. There was no business, really. I mean, there was a scene, but there was no way of not monetizing it. And this music was super underground. And, you know, you'd sell a few hundred, a couple of thousand records. So all the artists were basically, you know, going to work during the week. And, you know, as you were doing the early days of the roots. And, and Wait, so time out. You're saying that JK of Jamiroquai once had a day job? No, he never had a day job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all the brand new heavies did, you know, and all of Galliano did and, and those early groups. And, and, and from my point of view, um, where I was at being the champion of this new scene going on in the UK, I got 
I knew that I needed to take it to another level and I couldn't do it independently. So I got an offer from Phonogram Records, which was Polygram, which is now Universal. And they said to me, Giles, why don't you do this little thing that you're doing with Acid Jazz and do it for us? So that's when I set up Talking Loud because at that time there were no boutique record labels. You know, I didn't have anybody to go, oh, yeah, let's do, you know, what did you do? What kind of deal did you do? So I ended up just being brought in by them as an A&R guy with my own label. And that's why I set up Talking Loud, because I knew that Talking Loud needed to happen to break the bands, to be able to break the movement. Mm -hmm. So I needed a major label. So that's when I set up Talking Loud. And so at the beginning of Talking Loud, it was groups like Incognito and Galliano and Omar and The Young Disciples, which is the best record I think we ever put out, I put out anyway, a very underrated soul hip-hop record, um, which had Master Ace on it. It had, uh, I think, Johnny Lytle, the vibes player on it. And uh, and then um, that was that time, and that was the sort of period of loose air, of of soul to soul, and and that kind of London sound happening. But I wanted Talking Loud to be more than just a soul funk acid jazz label. I wanted it to represent UK club culture and all the elements, directions it was going in, from the Massive Attack to what became the drum and bass and, and all those groups. So people like Four Hero, people yeah. like Ronnie Size represent. They were natural artists to come through the label. Carl Craig, we did him, who was, of course, the Detroit sound. The best record I think I put out, apart from um, your EP, <laughs> um, was um, was the new Reconsole record with, with Louis yeah. Vega yes. and Kenny yeah, Doe. And that was a full-on A&R experience because they'd released this little 12-inch called The Nervous Track on Nervous Records and I was playing that at Bar Rumba, my Monday night session, and they heard about it and I was oh, a Rumba, fan of, of Louis and Kenny. And I said to the guys, I called them up, I said, listen, guys, you know, this is a really big record for me because the house kids weren't by playing that record because they were house producers, but they weren't on it because it was a little bit offbeat. Right. But it was perfect for people like me. So I then said to Louis, um, let's let's develop this into an album project. So that's when the new Reconsole thing happened. And, that, and then it just opened up because Louis's got his his nephew, his, uh, his uncle's Hector Laveau. So the whole of Latin music was, was in it. Then Kenny had the connections with Jazzy Jeff and Roy Ayers. And then we had George Benson on it. And then Tito Puente turned up. That was the best ever launch, album launch, Supper Club, new Reconsole. <laughs> New York. They were all there. Is that where all the pictures from the inside came from? Was it the There's a very bad quality yeah, video okay. of the day of it, which is up online. Such a shame because it is like that. They were all the like India. They were all there. So that was my official most fantastic kind of experience. And you Question. bought the term back. New the, t the term Barumba. You talk about Barumba. The song by Incognito Barumba. Is it about? That club? Yeah, it's a combination of a tribute to Luis Essa, who's the um, Brazilian composer who wrote a song called Barumba, okay. and Barumba, because Bar Bluey used to come down every Monday <laughs> to Barumba. So and I introduced him to the music of the Tambo Trio, for whom Luis Essa wrote. So that was kind of, uh, a, yeah, very nice. Okay. You know the oh yeah, you know the maddest thing for me was when because when I ran Talking Ad Records, of course, it was a UK and European thing, but I was trying to break this music in the States. So you're talking about FM radio here and stuff. So I had to, the first time I came to America with music in my hand to sell to the A&R guys of the department at Mercury Records, it was Ed Eckstein and Lisa Cortez who were running it there. Wow. And and uh, and I went in there with my young disciples and my Omar and they were like, we love this music, this is amazing. We're going to try and, you know, 
make it for you, make it happen. But it was so hard to get that music on the radio over here. Um, but it was very interesting sort of learning process for me to kind of see how the industry worked here and uh, working with those people. What was it, what was it like for you? Because uh, one of the moments that I saw as kind of a breakout moment for Talking Loud was when For Hero, Two Pages, got the lead review and vibe. It was the first review yeah. of the. I don't even know if you remember this, but hell yeah, I remember that yeah. shit. I mean, if he Giles, Giles remember, it. but yeah, that record got the first. It got the lead review, and I actually went and checked that out on the stream for that. Wow, and that made me like a lifetime. Me and Mark, we've done you know work, but uh, yeah. but man, that was what was. How did you and uh, Four Hero? Well, Mark Four, and, uh, Four Hero was, I mean, remarkable because they are Mark and Digo. They're another kind of super combination like Louis Vega and Kenny Dope and uh, two very different characters and personalities who make magical music based from a community in West London and they really just developed their sound which is a combination of kind of stringy, jazzy stuff with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, UK underground bass music and drum and bass music. So to work with them was unique and fantastic. But the break record, the one that really broke talk loud in America and this is a mad experience for me was I suddenly got called that Deep Waters by Incognito okay. featuring Mesa Leak was a big record in Detroit mm-hmm. and and Blue said yeah come over and see us playing in Detroit and I literally got on a flight went to Detroit and they were playing in a stadium and it was a completely black audience and it was and that's when I started realizing you know the power of a city or a few radio stations how they can break an artist and and thankfully they broke Incognito because they kind of went a bit bigger from there, sold me a million records, which went back into my coffers, which allowed me to record um, For Hero and Ronnie Size and and all the other groups, MJ Cole and people like that. So can you speak about the drum and bass movement? Because <sighs> this the is first the whole <laughs> of British underground history. The, the first night, Pandora. I still, I still feel like it is yet to find its moment, its true moment. And I feel like now that now that tempos are, are sort of slowing down, at least from where it was, I'll say like the tempo of 2006 to 2013 was just straight up boots and cats. Boots, cats, boots, cats. Like straight 130, 130. So now that stuff is slowing down a little bit, down tempo, well, still, I'm, 116 is fast. I mean, if you're a public enemy, that's fast as shit for hip hop. But. For dance music, it's rather slow, but it's slow enough for drum and bass to really find a lane now. And the first night you ever took us to Bar Rumba, speaking of Monday night, watching you spin, this is like our first our first week in London, and the guy or who whoever was spinning before you, his last record was. Anita Baker, Sweet Love. And I was like, me and Tariq started looking at each other like, the fuck? <laughs> so the intro to Sweet Love comes on, In a good on, way right? or a bad way? Mm-hmm. With, well, well, in a ba- well, in a bad way. I'm like, wait, why are they playing a slow song at a n- London nightclub? And when the intro came on, bing, bing, the whole audience started losing his mind, right? And we just looked at each other like, oh, God, this is going to be our life in London. Because you got to understand, we exiled. Like, we straight up, Took our budget and left. Yeah. All right, we love y'all. We out. <laughs> so we're here. And so the first verse comes on. With all my heart and honor. And people are just like preparing like some riots about to happen. The second the chorus came in. 
and it, it went to double time. And then it, we just like we never seen madness moshing like that in our lives. Wow. And I just remember at, I asked you, I was like, "What the hell is that?" And you was like, "It's drum and bass." And you know, eventually I met Digo and those guys and and knew what it was, but the 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 religious power that music had that I saw that night and subsequent nights and, and months and whatever, I feel like it really didn't cross over to the world as it should, but it's still waiting for its moment. Like, what do you feel about that whole movement? Because you signed yeah. Ronnie Size, and I think that movement was interesting. I mean, we we won the Mercury Prize for Ronnie Size, yeah. so the you know the movement was pretty big then. And uh, at the time, ninety six, ninety seven, and a bit before, um, the mu- I thought the movement had some good some good leaders. I thought people like Goldie, LTJ Bookham, Ronnie Sykes, because any movement needs a quest love. It needs somebody who can basically, you know, plant the flag and shout about it. Right. And I thought the drum and bass had a good movement. I think that broken beat had a bad, so it had a bad leaders. They didn't have leadership. Cause for me, the music who was the leader. Was it, it was IG culture yeah, and, Bugs, was and Bugs Bugs Bugs, IG culture and Digo really were the leaders. And that music form still resonates today. You play broken beats now and they're big to the kids. That's the music I think is going to be coming through more than drum and bass. Cause I think drum and bass is already in, it's in our DNA. It's there, and it's just morphing into different things. Or well, certainly in Europe, it is. But I feel like it should have made it more of an impact in the states. But at that and time, it didn't happen. Yeah. But what's with like, that? We like, tried why it are we you slower? Got me. I know that Outkast was doing it. Why is Why is America slow? I, that's what I was thinking this whole time. Like, why does America feel like it's so slow? Especially I don't know if we're slow. I think I just, it's the drugs. I think we're arrogant. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that might be it. Are we just too damn picky? I don't think it's. I don't think it's pickiness. I think it's arrogance. Really? Yeah, it's just outsiders. Because there's something about the way that... But I feel this generation will pick... I, I don't know. I, I mean, feel I think, like the I, generation will pick up on it. Because no, I think now, yeah, yeah. I think, but previous generations, I think it, it was a problem because people are just too arrogant. Like, this isn't American music. They don't sound like me. I think it's the EDM think it's question we're talking definitely. about a little definitely bit. Definitely with it. Yeah. It's the EDM thing as well. It's like, in a way, EDM was a good thing. I mean, I don't like the music particularly, right? But what EDM did is it kind of put dance music into the head of radio programmers, into the head of people who might want to be produced or remixed by David Guetta, major major artists. And it slowly was the doorway into a sound that America wasn't used to. And eventually the drips will get you to drum and bass. It's kind of the door is the, the is, backwards way it's the is the doorway is mm-hmm. the and because up until then dance music and everything that came out of dance music was a little bit you know it was like is it gay is it you know uh, you know is it right you know so you'd have to go to 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 miami winter music conference and that was like where we'd all meet but it was underground in america a little bit in fact in a way it's probably 20 or 30 years behind when i was going to my weekenders when i was 16 it was almost like going to miami winter music conference 30 years later Mm -hmm. and uh you know yeah that's probably but i think it's getting there radio's changing i think that people are slipping it in and producers are more prepared to cross-reference I don't know. I mean, like the new Drake record, uh, you know, there's that song which is kind of it's a house record. There's, there's yeah. Are two. you are you shocked at how I love that? I'm I'm glad he did it because for me, like 
I, I didn't think that, quote, real house. The first person I thought about was, like, King Brit. I thought about, you know, because if anyone, he's been trying to hold this tradition up in Philadelphia for so long that it dwindled a little bit where, you know, it was falling on deaf ears. Only certain people would, would, would gravitate towards it. And it's almost to the point where, like, we've now thrown Sunday afternoon parties. So instead of Thursday nights, you know, from 9 till 3 in the morning, now it's like Sunday afternoon in the park at 1 p.m. with you and your kids and your grandkids. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 that's the moment. But now that Drake has, has, you know, leaned heavily on the South African house culture and really opened the door, uh, do you feel as though that's a good thing or a bad thing? That's like? a good thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of that, especially that he's, he's got Moody Man on his record. Yeah, Moody Man. I'm so jealous. He put that. <laughs> I love that. I love. I used to just play that sample alone with the which, stops. Which Drake song y'all talking about? Um, Superman is the one he yeah. redid. That's a black coffee. Black coffee. Yeah. But yeah. Moody yeah. Man Drake Moody is. I can't remember the name of that song. Where well, the guys is talking. It's like, got the big I'll intro. Put this record on again. He he's like talking. There's a recording of a guy Moody Man who's just. It's a recording of him DJing. Yeah, no, I know the uh, I know oh, the Moody Man oh. record. I didn't know the Drake record. Which one he? I didn't. Yeah, it's on the album. I can't remember what it's okay. called on the yeah. album. I'll, I'll look it up. It's but on it's the quite interesting. Album. It's interesting that that's happening. But I think it's in our, you know, all of it. It's just, it's just in, you know. And and at the moment, the music that I'm finding really brilliant and I love it as the sort of subculture is is all that stuff from Chicago, all the footwork stuff. For me, the 160 BPM stuff is really exciting and I drop that wherever I drop that that's like my biggest music if I'm sort of you know at a festival the moment I need to kind of bring them all in I'll play some footwork so like another your level art- of Chicago house sorry just asking another level of Chicago house like juke and stuff like that okay. yeah okay yeah, yeah it's six super fast okay like they'll it. take like the Pac-Man theme see that's where it gets confusing because that sounds like Baltimore house it's, it's Baltimore House on steroids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. Oh. So many jumps. Think of like move jump jack your body. <laughs> now play that on 45. Oh, shoot. <laughs> but dance to it on 13. Oh. Uh, it's kids kids today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Giles, you've seen a lot of historical magic moments in your career. Throwing shows, having people come by to record on your show. Half of uh, the show that we did with Pharrell at the Roots Picnic uh, last month was based on the performance that NERD did on the Worldwide show. So that was like, that was inspiration, like taking all of his music and then filtering it. I can't wait. It's 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 it awesome. Was, it was amazing. Thank you. So, like, what, what, uh, what were some of the magic moments that you saw? Like, some of the firsts, mate. I mean, talking of uh, not the us at Jazz Cafe. Go no, ahead, but talking of Pharrell, actually, there was a week at, and and Winter Music Conference. There was a week before Winter Music Conference where I got the Dwele demos. From 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 um, the from Dilla, the Dilla Dwele yeah. demos with yeah rise with too too high on it too fly on mm-hmm. it and all that stuff, 
And the same week as that, I got the NERD album, the first one, the one before they went, because they re-recorded yeah, right, right. the digital version, which is always better. Mm-hmm. Thank right. you. Thank, shut up, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No. 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 Uh, can I get, can I get a... I'm giving you gunshots. I'm giving you gunshots. Yes, thank you, I've been arguing this for years. We were arguing that in rehearsal, like, to stick true to the synthetic NERD or the live NERD. Spy and mom. then I realized and? it was my band, so I got the last say. But <laughs> why do you feel Neptune's NERD first set record is Because that's what it was. Like yeah. it was yeah. it was when they tried to when they redid it and did it with the live instruments, it felt to me like they were trying to make it go to a bigger audience, quote unquote. But it was never going to be that record. It was always the Neptune's aesthetic was always I'm up sorry. until that point. It was the, always just cheap the, sounds. The digital version just sounds anemic after hearing the the live version. But that's how all they stuff sounded though. But that but was the part song, of the draw. The, I think the songs benefit better from the live arrangements. I don't think the song. I, I think the song. I, the songs were like kind of not cheesy songs, but they were like cheap and plastic, like the production, like Brain. I mean, <laughs> that, do I really need to call in a fucking band to sing about <laughs> getting some head? Like, nigga, really? Martin <laughs> Gaye? Like, ah, right. I mean, he had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 okay, so Fonte, I get Fonte's point that mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like the, the wonder that is Pharrell is sort of like when you're singing in the bathroom mirror with a brush. It's, it's, Cheap plastic sounding music that's made legit. Yeah, because it's about the, the emotion that's the behind it, and it nails the performance. You know what I mean? So, and it makes you feel inclusive because it's like, oh, I can do this too. It's not like super intellectual. Nah, but then it's intellectual. <laughs> oh, <never mind. laughs> I'm like, I can do this too. Y'all make it sound so easy. It's Pharrell. But what does Pharrell singing have to do with the instrumentation? I mean, just in terms of the songs. <laughs> I mean, just the songs. When I when I sent just uh, his it lyrics, being cheap and plastic. also his lyrics also complement. His musical oh my God. God. I, I, level I, I, of music I, I, snobbery is on an all time high. I, I like the disparity though, the 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 juxtaposition of the opposites. Oh lord, the, I the, can, ju- I can the juvenile that. lyrics and, and For, I just think Pharrell's cute, and let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we go down rabbit hole. This no, no, no. I'm, hole. I'm a fan let's, of the music. I just don't have those words, and I just say again that the album was dope, and I don't need but a. But you don't version. know why. It wor- wouldn't you like to know why it works and why it doesn't work? It worked for me as a listener, though. Like, what what worked about it for you? What was it about the record? Talk talk about about Run to the Sun. About what about it? Brain, like talk about talk talk about the song. What is it, what what is it in the song? Truth that, to Dare, that, that, like that. Man. I was moved. Like for me, I'm a listener, so I'm not a musician, so I won't go. You know, the strings weren't right here. His his he was flat here. It's more about that. I was moved. Like Run to the Sun was something that I never. That whole album is it, is was it, something is it that the I never lyrics heard that, that what, yeah. And okay. then once you realize it's about his grandma and everybody else has a moment of yeah, like it's a it's different. It spoke to you on that level. You Get, I'm yeah. a listener. I don't make it. I listen to it and I get moved. I don't make it either. I think you, you analyze stuff too, Laia. Yeah. Don't try to act like you're just the common, the com. You've been, if anyone, of all of us, you've been on commercial radio more than anything. You're, you're, you're the system. Right. I am. I have you here because you're <laughs> the system. system. Like, you're you're not the the listener on you were the radio right and I was the one that was saying and it's funny that's why I was speaking about the differences between accepting music in Europe and in in here is. We had to tell people to listen to NERD. We couldn't play it. So I had to constantly be like, this is the shit. Y'all need to listen to So you to had to tell album. your We're program not- department people like... No, I told my listeners. Oh. Like, you guys weren't playing the records, you were just, but you were still telling them to go check it out? Yes. Anyway? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. NERD, yeah. That stuff didn't yeah. get no, no play like that. 
I mean, there were some commercial records that we had to say, like, why aren't you we playing video? India, I read Lap it, Dance was getting know, played like on uh, on BET Uncut. Yes, it yes, was. Yes, it was. That was yes, about it. it. That was, <laughs> I forgot about that. That was it. And all the girls, well, that's a whole other album. Lee Harvey. Standing in the line oh. for the bathroom. That one too. Oh, that was everybody. So anyway, Giles Peterson. <laughs> hey, Giles. <laughs> yeah. anyway, Thank you. Thank we, you we, for co-signing me on the Electronic Nerd album. Thank we you. We will have to agree to I'm fully validated. I feel like... I feel like people that co-sign the first NERD record are also the same people that say, like, well, I like Off the Wall better than Thriller. Because you're supposed to. Nah, nah. I mean, I, I hear I'm you. not with you there. Because I think I like I, Off the Wall better than Thriller, but not for I that reason. Too, so. Giles? Off, off the Wall. Yeah. Hands okay. down. Yeah, especially as you get older, too. Like, it, yeah. Always. Thriller. Thriller, had, Thriller. Thriller, had, Thriller was more consistent because I still don't. You don't see to- it as equally as great? Well, because I don't listen to, I skip She's Out of My Life, and I skip It's the Falling in Love. And on Thriller, I skip quite a few songs from that, I skip Thriller. Like, I skip Beat It every time I play Thriller. Like, half of Thriller, I I can't listen to Well, we don't listen to Thriller because Thriller is not a record. (laughs) It's not a record anymore. Thriller is a social event. (laughs) It's not an album. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So anyway, Giles. Hey, Giles. <laughs> besides <laughs> Duelle, what else? <laughs> wait, did Ten I just move y'all in from a rabbit hole <laughs> right. instead of yes, the other way around? Yes. That's the first is truly nine. Well never happened. Wow. We uh, are. Great moments. The moment that uh, one of the early great moments that I remember very clearly right now was uh, was a weekend that I organised, um, and I remember we put on Tribe Called Quest 
in the UK first show ever. And it was in a, one of those holiday resorts in the middle of nowhere again because they were we could hire these places for, for cheap. And it was Tribe Called Quest, Pharaoh Saunders on the same bill, mm. um, Brand New Heavies, Galliano, Jamiroquai. So it was like the acid jazz meets American hip hop meets the sort of spiritual jazz Godfathers. So that was like that was that was a big one. That's I mean, an amazing. I remember show. that very well. A lineup. That was a great night. Yeah, yeah. it was a good night. See, yeah. America would never get that. You see what I'm saying? So okay, can I say now? Are your listeners still your listeners from 20 years before, or are you, do you have a generation of listeners that are open to new music? Because I'll say the one thing that I find kind of impenetrable uh, in DJing now, mm. as opposed to back then. Yeah is the boldness of playing the unknown without repercussions. It's like I borderline have to trick them to listening to something dope because I had to disguise it with, you know, three songs that they know. Then I'm going to hit you with, you know, the shit that I like, and then right before the dance floor clears, I'll, you know, it's like a system that you have to have. Do you find it harder now... Uh, facing audiences of unknown music, I just need than before. I, I need more time. So if if people book me now, I say five six hours. You need me to play that long because the problem. So you is, redeem yourself in case it. Well, that's fun. the generations I've got. You know, I've got the people who come and listen to me, and they're like, "Oh, I really like that record you made in Cuba," or "I love the Brazilian stuff you do," or "I love that kind of new bass music you're playing from South London." So at the end of the day, all these different people are coming for different bits of me. So I need to say, "Look, I'll do the whole thing, the full journey, but I need five to six hours on a great sound system." Talk. That's why I love playing at Output or places like you know, like that where you can. But it's more work. But that's the only way I can kind of give them I, I feel better at the end of the night there's nothing worse you are literally the only person I know besides nope. myself I love marathon and, gigs and love them you're the only person like t uh, next week I'm gonna do uh, an eight hour gig it's and promoters are always scratch head scratching because wow. most DJs how that's the normal no, I said me. wow that's long oh, oh. Yeah. no that's normal I mean, you think I get long-winded answers? You should see my DJ sets. <laughs> <laughs> I used, to, I used to love doing those. Show, show you all the lie in that one. <laughs> those 10 to 4 a.m. gigs were my favorite. Yeah, I'm just saying that. It's not, you've got to have, I mean, the thing is, on when I played uh, Output the other day in Brooklyn, um, I played the full 16-minute version at peak time of I Thought It Was You by Herbie wow. Hancock, the wow. directed direct Japanese step, version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, that yeah. one that one right wow. which is the best version of I Thought It Was You all 16 minutes I think it is 16 and a half minutes long right. but if I hadn't been playing for five hours I wouldn't have that would have been a quarter of my one hour right. set you know so the fact but to be able to play that and for people to because then people get because at the beginning people are looking at you especially when you come to America for me they come and they're looking at you going give me a show I'm like no I'm a DJ music, right yeah. dance and let me get into my zone because I'm not a performer in that way yeah, oh, I want to ask you about that. Like, because every time, like, when I go out, I see people like now. DJ culture is they watch, watch the rock it, stars, they don't yeah. dance to it, yeah. and it's like mm -hmm. you're doing it wrong. Like, how did 
how have you adapted to that? Like, how does the audience adapt to you being a pure DJ in that way? Well, you just have to keep doing it. I think that, um, and you got to accept that, you know, um, there'll be people taking photographs of you. <laughs> um, and, and that even though they're not dancing, they are into it. Because I think initially I was like, oh no, they don't like it. But they haven't. But they haven't left. That's when you, you came know, here, right? Yeah. Like you hadn't experienced that. A little bit of that. I mean, I the first time I ever went to Japan, I remember thinking, "My God, Japan is like that." Yeah, yeah. There's no emotion. It's no. Yeah, you think you're bombing, but after the show, they and like. And at the end, they love it. They yeah, love and it, they yeah. give you an uncle. But it's kind of it's that's a weird thing. But um, no, I think it's it's. I think people are getting down. I, th I think people are beginning to understand the etiquette of going out to hear a DJ now. I think a few years ago, it was like there was especially in the states because there was like unless you were going to the proper real clubs. Um, and you're going to like a festival. Like, I remember playing at Coachella and uh, six years ago and I was like, am I really, is this terrible? <laughs> you know, wow. but it was just the way because there was no, you know, there was no festival culture for DJs like me. You know, there was festival culture for techno for DJs, pumps, like, you know, yeah. cult. But for people like me who went through it, it was a little bit odd, but it's getting there. Karen P sends her love, by the way. Love her. She said, what's up? Uh, She's a great you producer. Want me to ask you about... Um, the time you came to Philly and went to James Porzer's dad's church. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that's was, right. That's right, yeah. Why? Yes. Join <laughs> 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 this question now. It was about a We Live in Philly <laughs> doc, right? It was yeah. Oh, God. Well, I have to say, the first person I really fell in love with, apart from Erica Badu, whilst interviewing her, was, and I probably, in fact, more so than Erica, um, was Jill Scott. Yeah, I remember interviewing her when she just released her first record. Who is Jill Scott? And I was so in love. When I met her, I just absolutely fell apart, and 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 really, really, really liked her a lot. And um, obviously, that's all it was. But um, but it made me want to come to Philly. Can she, we she call, kind of we call her? Jill Scott on the phone. <laughs> yeah. We call her. We haven't called Jill in a minute. It's actually a segment on the show. In all kinds of ways, even but when she's not trying. You never fell in love with James Poyser, though, right? I was waiting for the James snark. Hey, hey, Jill Scott. Jill's on the phone. Yep. It's Amir Thompson. I know. Yes. And about... <laughs> seven <motherfuckers>. seven other <laughs> people. <laughs> you remember how I used to always call you during my uh, radio show when someone mentions your name? Yes. Okay, so I have Giles Peterson here, and he just wanted to let you know that you're really, really cool. Giles, <laughs> hi, baby. How you doing? How, how you doing? We're, we're kind of janky with the communication here, so. He's right now. Oh, I know you're not going to hug Giles for me, but try. <laughs> I will hug Giles just no, for you. No, I'll hug Giles. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. yeah. Laia got a little more. Yeah, yeah. 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 I got half of what Jill got. <laughs> Hi, Laia. Yeah. Hey, boo. Are you in Atlanta right now? I am. How do you know everything? <laughs> I know everything you do, Jill Scott. How do you know everything? It's weird. He's got JPS. I, Jill, Jill Scott uh, <laughs> positioning. Jill positioning Scott. I ask about you often, Jill. Oh, you can always just call me sucker. Ooh, oh, oh. Anyway, Jill, thank you very much. Uh, I will talk to you next time someone mentions your name on the radio So Thank you. Love you, babe. Bye. Bye. So I had, a, I had a question about celebrity DJs. Is, is that a thing in Europe as much as, as it is here? Well, it is a thing because DJ culture is just so normalized now in a way. So you're going to get that side of it. But on the other hand, you're still going to get... You know, the funny thing is, in the UK at the moment, if you were like a celebrity DJ and you were to... I mean, you'll probably 
you know, play to big audiences and stuff. But people like Fortet, who's a sort of left field techno DJ, they're the guys who are getting the biggest numbers and the biggest audiences. It's not the kind of celebrity DJs in that sense, or maybe that is happening, but the left field, more progressive underground that's what the kids are really looking for i don't know if that's answering the question oh, so but no one from like take that or robbie like we've got just El- like <laughs> going on tour with madonna and stuff like that D- doing that's you know, not djing DJ he is? Yeah. yeah that was like a couple years ago wait who is idris elba he opened oh that, yeah i forgot i used to do a few gigs with him yeah. but that's no, not but DJing. For he does it here it's a bit like a musician a saying it's a bit like I don't know. It's like a bit like I mean, I think Woody Allen takes his music seriously, but I see it as like it's like you know they're like amateur musicians, you know, but they're not the real thing. I mean, a real DJ, and I really believe in DJ culture and the art of DJing and the the heritage of DJing. You know, thank you, sort of David Mancuso and all the guys who set it up for us. But there's an art to it, and that celebrity scene is just a little bit of you know um, bubble gum somewhere. See, but there's there's a word that I'm looking for, I think it might be integrity. Okay. That's what you guys have that we don't have no more in the United States. Yeah. So. <laughs> From the White House on down. Yeah, it's, it's different. Like, the fact that you would still, what you said was correct, but because I'm immersed and living in this new alternative reality that we're in right now. Where you're competing with, like, the Paris Hiltons and... and yeah, where, you know, I've... There's a few DJ gigs where... I mean, I I have an agent that has a few actors or whoever, and their money is, like, crazy. It's, like, 300000 $400,000, like... And I'm just mind-blown, but that's just... For the name. I mean, you're just like, that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, you either accept it or you fight it. And I guess maybe in my older age, I'm not trying to fight it. Like, there's other fights I can have out there besides, why is this DJ giving $400,000 and not me? You know, that sort of thing. Wow. um, Yeah, DJ culture is becoming... I'm into that celebrity (laughs) DJ thing. (laughs) (laughs) How how do I do it? No, well, see... If you were to move to the states, here's the here's the funny thing. What's what's weird about American culture is that we are so obsessed with getting in the king's throne, like with hip hop, with DJing, with anything. Like everyone wants to be the top person, and they're fighting for it. No, no, no other scraps will do. That there's a whole middle level that's absolutely that's not empty. Being served, yeah. And thus, I've made a home. In the middle level. Like, I would never want to fight for Jay-Z's throne or Drake's throne or, I mean, in the DJ world right now, Pretty Lights makes the most. Um, Calvin Harris, who, shockingly, in my conversations with him, is almost like talking to you. Like, he thinks like you and aesthetically has you and probably Fonte and Bill's education and knowledge of music, but he knows... Where the money Where's bread and you know, butter where the bag come from? Is, yeah. Right. So it's it's like everyone's fighting for that position. So they'll scoff at like a cat like Diplo would laugh at a hundred and fifty thousand dollar, you know, Christmas party carper DJ gig for Viacom. They would laugh at that shit. Because they're now playing Madison Square Garden 
for two, three million dollars. Jesus. So it's like there's a middle ground wow. that you know, it, underground is like you're 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 fighting with everyone else to get underground gigs. But if you manage to make a name, like a person like you, could come to the states right now and do these middle ground gigs and chiching, like that's where it is. And I absolutely yeah, just take gave it back the to answer. the UK where you get double <laughs> everyone <laughs> <a manager>. <laughs> <laughs> giving out the secrets. everyone unhear unhear what you what I just said to you, <laughs> man. So what? Not like, well, what's the future for Giles Peterson? Like, is this to you, is this is this a good end game for you? Is this what you always wanted? Yeah, this is the best. I'm having the best fun of my life. I really am. I've been DJing for 30 years. I travel around the world. I'm still passionate about music. I connect with people. I communicate through the music. Um, I mentor artists. I bring it through. I don't think there's a better game, really. There's more. There, there isn't, you know, I mean... I keep saying I'm going to give up DJing. I was going to give up at 40. It didn't happen, you know. And I'm actually, I'm actually. What made you want to give it up? Well, I just thought was it was a bad DJ. No, no, have you ever had a bad DJ? Uh, yeah, loads. But the thing is, you you have to have your bad gigs to enjoy the good ones, obviously. But but the thing is, with I thought 40 was too old to be a DJ. When, you know, when I was 30, I thought, yeah, old DJ, yeah. But actually, no. I mean, the funny thing is, I'm I'm better. I'm 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 the best I've ever been. So I want people to hear me being. Do you good. have more experience? It took me thirty yeah. years to be able to mix two house records together. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, yeah, Man, I want to enjoy it. What's your Brownswood Bubblers uh, comps that you do? How much of those are? Do you actually handpick all those songs? Yeah. Okay, so that's still you going through all that stuff? Yeah, that's yeah. Dope. Because, I mean, in a way, the radio show that I do every week on the BBC, and I do a digital radio station called Worldwide FM, but the BBC show that I do, which is three hours every week, that's it's like my that's my homework. So every week, that's my oeuvre d'art. That's like my painting. So yeah. that is the build-up of listening to 500 songs that week and building a show. So that's I have to listen to all that music. Yeah, I was glad to see you use uh, "Good Night" by Philip Owusu on yeah. that like incredible that. track. God, I'm still waiting for that album to drop. It never came out. Nope. Oh damn. How long has it been? It That's four, three, four, four years, years at least. Yeah. Easy. What What is the process of you auditioning songs that you feel are worthy to be on your radio show? What is it about? You, a song? I know you have to take in a lot of music. And a lot of blogs and a lot of recommendations. So just personally, you're, you're not overloaded. Like, I'm personally overloaded and not quite numb yet, but it's it's a process. Like, I choose Sundays as the days to keep a certain station on, you know, listen five to six hours, and then Shazam what I like, mark down what I like, and then maybe I'll have... 17 songs I never heard of now in my vocabulary. But what's what's that process for you? I mean, I'm I I'm, I never force myself to listen to music. Um so I just come to it. If there's a week that I'm not like in the mood to feel like I need to do all this research for A&R reasons, for record company reasons, I just go through my old records and I'll put on a, a classic record to remind me and maybe on the radio I'll just play a lot of old music for example right if ever I get to the point where I'm a little bit sort of just like not really inspired but to be honest with you with the amount of music that I listen to whether it's the sort of new DJ music whether it's sort of 
hip hop. Um, I mean, there's a new track, that Buddy track. Um, you know, the, I mean, all the stuff that's been coming out of LA has been incredible, right? I mean, you know, from sort of all that Kendrick Lamar and Beyond stuff, all the stuff that Flying Lotus is responsible for, Thundercat. I mean, my God, there's just so much good stuff. And and for example, when I played, I don't know, like when Take the Box was sent to me, I mean, Take the Box by Amy Winehouse mm-hmm. is a good example of a tune that um, my friend was trying to sign it, Max Dusada at Atlantic Warners at the time before it went to to Ireland. And he just sent me the demo. He said, what do you think of this, Charles? And I was like, immediately take the box. And I started playing it as a demo on the radio mm. then. <laughs> because it just had those little things, just like when you're talking about um, NERD, Run to the Sun, you hear that. And it's just an immediate tune, right? Or Good Night by Philip Owusu, these songs. And that's what I'm searching for. But I'm also searching for raw dance music that I've never heard before the way they've arranged the bass in this you can tell because it's a bit like we're chefs you know we're tasting those ingredients all the time so when there's a certain type of of onion that comes in that's got the right edge we know it we've got you know I, I'm rubbish at wine I'm rubbish I've got a terrible palate but when it comes to music Me too. <laughs> but when it comes to music jams, I'm not even very good at music but because I've just constantly listened to it I've got a good memory of music. So when something fresh does come, I know it's new. I can feel it quicker than others, I think. Well, what what I mean is that I feel like there's an expectation for you to always have that shit I never heard before or this version of that song I never heard before or that sort of thing. So I know that you have to put a lot of research. Like, what keeps you from repetition like okay your go-to okay i'm always going to play uh love will bring us back together by roy Ayers. like what keeps you from staying stuck in those same 50 songs that you know work like gangbusters every time and what like you're still going to have to discover tomorrow's music first before the next younger guy gets to it so that's what i meant like as far as your research process like what what do you do good network Great people who know what I like. Lots of exchanges. Um, I'm over all of the music from the new electronic stuff to the hip hop to the jazz to the old stuff to some new soul that might be coming out to the rock and the alternative. There's some great music coming out of that area as well as we all know. And I'm just listening to all of it. And within all of that music, I mean a lot of it. And I'm and you know obviously there's millions of songs being made every week. But amongst my network of friends who know we know each other's taste we're coming from different parts of the world um we are able to satisfy each other um with music and then i take that onto the radio and to be honest with you i don't even think about it that much i've never really felt like i was thinking the other day i didn't listen to the whole solange record properly things like that that's those sort of things bother me a little bit sometimes because i'm like oh yeah i just went through it and something else happened the week after and i liked you know yeah yeah but i listened to it this week and then it hit you later yeah, yeah, and I was like, I need to listen to that record because that's a different way of listening because I listen to music as in in a curative way and sometimes I want to listen to music in an entertainment for myself way, emotional way. So sometimes I make sure that I just hide myself at home and put a record on from the beginning to the end. Very important to find the time for that. I bought a good sound system specifically for that. Is it a Macintosh? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, I bought a vintage thing and you know, all this stuff and it just makes music sounds... Uh, remarkable about as it should be so 
I don't know. I don't overthink it, you know, just you enjoy it. You never get overwhelmed by the abundance of music on the daily. Never. I've got Even so in much. my record room, like, I'm pretty sure I only listen to 10% of it. <laughs> yeah. That's 10%. for your retirement. I mean, the, my record collection, that's the way I look at it, is this, that's for when I'm retiring. You know? Really? you know, most people, I feel like most people who listen feel like y'all have listened to every single record in your record collection. Because, Amir, I would have guessed that your record room, you've listened to all those records. No, well, the thing is, is that I've absorbed it. So it's a, it's a thing of, it's a thing of, you know, I'll skim through it. And because I'm in hip hop, it's about samples more than anything. So, I mean, there's two ways to listen to records. You either, you go record digging and then you cue records and then, you know, it doesn't hit you. You put it away. But I'm going to sit and actually listen to it. That's what I do on Sundays. I don't skim through it. I listen to it. So seriously, that's 10% in your record room right now of those records that you had a chance to listen to. I mean, to. it's physically impossible. And th- that's just my record room. I have... Your hard drives and... MP3s I mean, right, I just had to buy... I had to acquire a, a new spot. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying sorry. to say it so the I don't sound like a daddy. Your face I'm, is kind of I'm not going <laughs> to... You know, I'm a, I'm a rich judger. I'm a judger, but I ain't going to judge you for your next statement. I ain't going to do it. No, well, okay. Would you like me to take care of the things that I acquire? I do. I would like that. Okay. Well, then there's about uh, a, maybe 100,000 other records oh, that shit. could get damaged in the current state that they're in in my storage unit. So I had to purchase a building... It was oh. cool with the right air and all that stuff. Wow! And I had you had to yeah. like the thing that's, is that's that Bismarck was you know Biz was Biz. Oh, well, Biz, Biz has houses. Yeah. Is that in New York what? or Philly? Because I need a temporary storage spot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna tell you. So I'm gonna tell you what I did. I'm gonna tell you what I did. I had to let go of two houses because again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sentimental pat rat, and you know, in my mind, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm going to give these clothes to, you know, to the Smithsonian Museum, to <laughs> Timothy Ann or something. <laughs> you know, like He's maybe like, I'll take it. Yeah. I saw my You Got Me clothes in case, you know. From the video. Yeah. I just... It was a black T-shirt, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just... But is it, is it goals? It's like you want to get back down to that size? I want to get back. Is that what it is? I was up, man. I was like 400 oh, yeah, plus yeah, you back got then. Me. Yeah, you got Stop me. Yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never want to go back there again. Nah, but, yeah, you got Jesus me Christ, you scared the shit out of me. <laughs> 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 no, I'm, I'm just saying that uh, I got, I purposely <laughs> silently judging you. <laughs> There's a picture in, no, in the studio. No, no. We <laughs> wouldn't even say it. Oh, my God. That Whoa. was the fastest reaction Whoa. to that shit ever. Whoa. That's crazy. Whoa. Look, there's some things that happen on this show. Put it away, Bill. <laughs> we're in Amir's studio, you guys. It's personal studio. Yeah, there are things we're, in we're here. in my Philly studio. There's things in here that, there's, there's personal that are triggering. triggering. Yeah. <laughs> Not only records. Records and other stuff, too. I'm just saying that. Can I have this A-track? <laughs> CTI. Steve used to uh, sleep on the floor here. Clutch. Yes, it's yours, Steve. You can have my CTI well, A-track. It's actually part of a two-pack with another <laughs> Freddie Hubbard A-track. Yeah, go ahead. Take all the CTI A-tracks. Shouldn't you be here on the microphone, Steve? Steve is like going through my records right now. Wait, so Giles, do you have homes for your albums as well? Yeah, he said that. Oh, do, can people, are y'all really saying, like, can a person live in this place with your records? No. Or is it just? It's just for story. Here's the deal. Okay. okay. Ah, this is a weird 
kind of name drop tacky thing I'm it's about okay. to do, okay. but I'm we'll you know always got to preface the tacky <laughs> shit. Yes. Okay, so. <laughs> Yeah, wait, can I have this Diodato record? <laughs> it's John Tropia. John Tropia. Come on, man. Okay, initially when I first moved to New York, there was there was a there was a chance that I was going to acquire or at least couch crash the Destiny's Child apartment that Beyonce had. Um I guess that was their crash spot whenever they were in New the York. I didn't have a house yet. Where? The one by Bloomingdale's? Uh, they have a lot of property. Or the one by Manhattan. or the one by Holland Tone. <laughs> oh Lord, y'all! Uh, there's a lot of their property. <laughs> Dang, girl, <laughs> right. One of them. Sorry. Dude, Wait, why do you know? Like, that's the question. Just feels poorer and poorer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Why, why do I know this? Yeah, I used to work in the Knowles Empire. That's right. You yeah, that's right. did. Music World. What? Damn, I'm interviewing you next week on <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, my point was that. Uh, she was trying to make the decision on whether or not she was going to let me have the spot or not because she hasn't been in that apartment in forever. But she realized that a lot of her clothes were getting damaged in uh, the storage units that they had. So she decided that it's probably better off instead of uh, in month after month after month for storage unit to just buy a house and put your stuff in there and care for it there. So, so I can live here. The Destiny's Child apartment now houses all of Beyonce's shoes that she's ever had and oh, doesn't wear anymore. Wow. 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 Damn. Anyway, yeah, so House there's houses. Shoes. So the spot that I have in Philly, I, I made sure it was outside of Philly, sort of. And that's where my records and I also have like sixty one drum sets. Jesus. It's like a battle. Giles, Amir said he has 100,000 records. What you got? I don't think oh, I, he has way more than that. I don't, I don't think I've got that, that many records. You, you and Claude of, of uh, uh, Claude from uh, Montreux Jazz Claude Festival. Nobs. Claude Nobs. Yeah. You guys have the largest. Where does Craig Coleman fit in that? 100,000 is a lot, though. Craig doesn't count. That's man. a lot. Craig, Are you counting 45s in that? Yeah. That is a record, isn't it? Yeah, I'm counting. I don't even count my 45s. I have a lot now, but so you, you got 100,000 physical you, pieces of. I have 100,000 physical pieces of vinyl. That's Probably have maybe 120 now. Okay. But I mean, as far as the 40, like right now, there's a lot of people down south that don't know that 45 culture is coming back. So what I'm running into is there's a lot of widows. Of say like one stop shop uh, jukeboxes. Jukeboxes used to be a thing in those liquor houses and everything. So once people stop using jukeboxes in their nightclubs and their bars or whatever, especially down south, they had to go somewhere. So you have a lot of widows or a lot of daughters that have inherited stuff. I don't know what to do with the stuff, all these records. And so that's where Gene Brown comes in and he'll just say, All right, I got a collection of. Uh, 40,000, 45s. You want them? No, duh. Okay, I'll take them. <laughs> and then I take them and then don't listen to them. Of course like not. right now in that room, I have Levi Stubbs's record collections. And in it is Levi a Stubbs lot of white label Motown stuff that will never see the light of day. Like just. So there's a lot that I haven't listened to. So, yes, to get back to the beginning, 10%. 
someone's going to all right Eli is judging me but let no, me just I'm tell not, you I'm just smiling that when you get in my field of business you got to get into something no i understand so okay. I rather this than cocaine. I about to say yeah. Wow. Nah, for real. Wow. No, you're going to get into dealer. something. Or bitches, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, you're going to get into something. And you ain't got no you're baby. Gonna, so I'm, I'm happy. You're going to inject it, listen to it, sniff it, taste it, or it's going to kill you. Okay. Like you got to get into something. You have more physical records in your collection than I t- t- sold of the <laughs> Mister Show. <laughs> All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're getting ahead of our tradition. First of all, let's thank Giles Peter for yes. 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 doing the show. Thank you, Giles. It's an Worldwide. honor. Worldwide. So before we end, Bill, unpaid yeah. Bill. Yeah. What did you learn today, man? Man, tastemakers. I like the idea of people being tastemakers. I think he's right. I think you're a tastemaker, and I like the idea of people listen to you. I struggle with titles, man. I know you don't like titles. You don't like people talking about you yeah. or compliments. complimenting you. You're not good at that. But that's fine. This is all therapy here. I hate so compliments, too. Dig it. I just like the fact that. The idea that people listen, and I think that you have the the platform to do that, and, and yeah, to you open are. up open up people's Stop! but open up people's know, minds that that wouldn't necessarily listen to this in kind music, of music. I'm a taste maker. Great. In Trader Joe's, I'm a taste test. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, besides uh, my records you just stole, what else did you learn today? Uh, um, I want to see uh, Giles' record collection go through the jazz section. He's going to steal all your CTI records. Do you Don't take care of your it. stuff, like? 
Unlike others, we. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, fucking you were the person supposed to take care of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> he said he ain't been here in a year. <laughs> More than that, like nine years. Yeah, shit. I haven't been. In this, I, I probably only been in this room maybe nine times in the last seven years. Uh, anyway, um. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I have that. a job, Charles Peters? <laughs> um, no, yeah. Sounds like sounds like you got a nice collection. I would assume, um, but I. I also think Thriller's better than Off the Wall. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, it's not a fair question. Off the Wall's better, but but Thriller is the greatest Thriller's album Thriller's not an album time. to me. Well, it's an album to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was an album to Epic Records, too, I'm sure. It's um, not, it was nice to meet you, though, really. Man, yeah, it's good to finally meet Giles. We did just show uh, Little Brother in Foreign Exchange. We did just show, like, God, this was oh five six something. And, uh, but I think you weren't there. I think you were out sick or something. Something happened. I can't remember. But we taped it anyway. Yeah, I you did it with Benji or? Nah, nah. It was. Uh, oh, you just taped your portion. We just taped the live. It was just a live in session joint okay. that we did. Okay. Yeah. But uh, but nah, man. It's good to finally reconnect with to meet you finally in person and uh, just you know say thanks for the music that you've brought forth and just continuing to shine a light on those cats that are coming up. You know, we were certainly one of the groups that benefited from you know you showing us love and everything and um yeah just thank you for all you've done man bill what did you learn today man um pirate radio stuff was quite interesting i've always uh, been very you know intrigued by that whole concept um like one of my favorite movies as a kid was a uh, christian slater movie called pump up yeah. the volume it was basically about a kid that had a pirate radio station in his basement um so captain it, phillips is good too check out that movie <laughs> <laughs> So it was, it was, it was, it was good to learn about, good. you know, good to get some <laughs> some good insight on the whole pirate. Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I also had a question that I wanted to ask. I just had to go ahead. Um, as someone who's been like a, a lifelong fan of music, I've in recent years I've had a very hard time um, staying passionate about new music. How do you? Do, how are you able to do it? Well, I think probably because it's my role to to get people I don't know I think the fact that I'm sort of um, on a mission probably more so than you are <laughs> you have more of an audience uh, certainly <laughs> I get a lot of pleasure out of seeing um, out of seeing small acorns grow um, and seeing the journey of the artists from receiving a cassette tape by Jose James of him doing versions of John Coltrane songs to him signing to Bruno those things give me a lot of pleasure and and there's enough music for me to be to be passionate about I've never felt more passionate about music out of all sides and all countries it's never been more worldwide there's less <laughs> no it's true there's never been there are less have there been any movements that you've just kind of been very unsure about that but they took off anyway and you just kind of had to play catch up or EDM? No, 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 not, not necessarily. No, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're a better man than I am. All right. <laughs> we knew that going in. Yeah. Oh, shut <laughs> up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I learned today? I learned that Grove Washington Jr. comes from yes, Philadelphia. He does. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He's right here. Oh, oh. Yes, he does. Oh, oh. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> that was so Yo, loaded. That was yeah. an awesome yeah. meta yeah. joke. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time. Who told me to do that? I'm taking this whole by the way. Grover Washington, Cena. He looks like Grover Washington Jr. 
No, I don't. Yes. I don't look like Grover Washington Jr. Okay, no, just, you're just Grover his Washington album covers, Jr. But and, not him. and Wyatt Cenet. Like can, you play, can you play Hydra? Can you play Hydra from that from the album? Yes, we will. We will play it on the show. Let's play Hydra. Lightyear, what did you learn today? Oh, I learned a lot. I want to thank you first because when I was sitting at my desk at Ryko Disc for eight hours and going to my commercial radio job, hip hop and R and B, I used you to learn my new music because I didn't want my brain to be clouded by what I was about to do. So I want to thank you for that. And um, I just learned your journey, and I've always been a big fan. And I think, much like Bill, sometimes you fight with America. I just think America's different in their acceptance of music, especially of soul music. So just going to open my mind and dive into some more Giles Peterson because there's always some to find. You know one thing that I love about America because uh, I love about playing here? When people go out in America, they make the most of it. They make the most of it. And I feel that sometimes in Europe, people are a little bit spoiled and they're a little bit... Uh, here... Really? I do when they go out. I honestly feel when you come out, it's like when it's like Japan... People go out, if they've paid their money to go into that club, they're going to have a good time. In Europe, they might be hating quicker. Wow. Really? I think so. It's like Philly. <laughs> really? Yeah, Philly's a snooty town because they're used to so much dope talent. Well, I just thought you guys were polite. So when they weren't clapping, they weren't satisfied. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Damn, we got to change our show. <laughs> <laughs> when they weren't clapping. Oh, no, we're we're actually coming back. This, you'll you'll be happy to hear this, Giles. Um, I can't wait. Initially, there was supposed to be a uh, a, a tribe roots summer tour. Hell what? yeah! Believe oh, it or wow. not, we want to play this the O two arena. We had four O two arena dates set up, but um, tribe is tribe. Anyway, so <laughs> when was this? This is like this. It was going to be the summer oh, of two thousand seventeen. Okay. Wow. We had a, a three weeks with a tribe doing stadiums, um, but for the since we booked a lot of other stuff with the Usher project that we're doing, um, we're we decided to instead of taking days off in London, we are going to go back to the Jazz Cafe nice. uh, where Holy you first shit. seen us. A very a small spot. Show at Jazz Cafe. Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. That's about as big as this room. I'm about to ask you how big that was. Okay. Uh, it's like 300. I mean, three, 400. Oh. If that. And yeah. I'm going to DJ. Like, I, we just. It's dope. We just want to go back to the scene of the crime. and You going to go back to South Street? That would be I was going to say, you should just do that saying. too. Uh, I, There's plans for that too. <laughs> that would be fucking dope. Anyway, so Giles, before now, we normally don't ask the guests what did they learn from themselves today. <laughs> Besides Grover Washington being in yeah, our, but I, I, there is a there is a game I want to play. Oh no, 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 we're not playing that game. Oh, okay, okay. Damn, we should have played that game. We should have played that game. Yeah. But what I want to know is, if you were in solitary confinement, I don't know what crime that you would commit that would actually have you put away in a room. Pirate radio. Okay, yeah. Let's say you finally you get a judge over there. Well, you guys are Brexited anyway, so anything can happen over there. So if you're in solitary confinement, realistically, let's say three years. So that means no outside world for 900 plus days. Yeah. But you are allowed five albums to keep you sane. So this isn't for the rest of your life, Wait, just for three years. This is like the black version of Desert Island Discs. You're in solitary confinement. <laughs> yeah, because all we know is jail, bro. <laughs> we, it's the best like, thing you've ever said. What black person would wind up in an exotic island? Yeah, that's not. Nah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. We in jail. 
Anyway, so <laughs> solitary, no less. <laughs> what are those With a five record records? Player. <laughs> well, if I'm going to be there for that for that long, I think I have thought about this sort of question before, and I've had thought that I th- I don't know if I could handle vocals. So one of the beautiful things about jazz and instrumental music is that you can kind of go different places within it. So I think that to hear Al Green or Smokey Robinson, it would or Stevie Wonder even over and over. I don't and think over. I could. I think you, you know, go crazy. Yeah, I think that I'd go crazy. So I'd go probably more avant-garde because that's where I think free jazz and sort of impro music will make the most sense because it'll always sound different. It's more like, to discover. You'll find yeah, yeah. something different within it. At most times, interesting. You're my guy, man. So, right, I would see. I wouldn't choose my favorite records because it would drive you crazy after. You hate them. Your twelfth listen, and the, after the three years was up, every time you would listen to it, you would automatically be taken right. Yeah, back Yeah, you to would that, think so. of it. So you she would choose. Still didn't. So what, what are those shit. five records? Well, I'd probably go for the. Um, the history of Sun Ra. Is it can it can it be one record or is it can it be his? It can't be a greatest hits. It can't be a greatest <laughs> hits. Okay. Um I mean, I'd probably go for a Well, if there was one vocal record, I'd go with Terry Callier's um um What, what Color is Love, Love album. Yes. Word. With Charles Stepney strings. Okay. That, that's yes. a, that's a, that's that's a great record. Um I don't think I'd get tired of that. Um I'd go for some which Coltrane? I mean, maybe a Love Supreme. Maybe that will drive me mad. Mm. Um, it probably will, actually, because I've heard that too many times already. Um, wow, that's hard, man. Mm-hmm. Um, do one each. I d- so I've done Terry, and then you do one. So Wow. Yeah, because right. that's not fair. So we all get one. All right, yeah. mine would be... No, one each, so we do five, but you do one, I do one. Or we all... If I would have chosen a Coltrane <laughs> record, um, actually, I, I would have chose Farrah Sanders' uh, Train of Thought record. Um, well, one of my favorite Dilla records are on there, um, which is escaping me right now. Um, ah! But there's a Farrah Sanders' Train of Thought record I like. My favorite... Coltrane that I never tire of ever is Coltrane Plays the Blues, which is actually one of his more normal straight ahead records. Um, and if to complete it, see, Miles' Nefertiti record, to him, that was his middle finger record to the label brass and him not taking solos on it, just repeating the same line over and over again. But I don't know. It's just the most hilarious, comical jazz record ever, <laughs> even though it's absolutely a work of art. But just the fact that he's that mad to repeat the same line over and over and over and over again for without soloing, I think that's a stroke of genius. So... I'd add three of those records. Anyway. <laughs> so. You lost the game because y'all said he do one, you do one. But yeah, I, I wasn't right, going right. to tell you, but it's fine. Back and forth. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You did three, you can do three. One for you, one for me. All right, so we're already fighting in solitary confinement. One, two for me. I chose three and left you with one more. Pick the final record, Giles. Let's give it to, I want to go with something new. I think let's just give it to Kamasi. 
And yeah. uh, let's just yeah. yeah. pick. It's three. That's three, three hour records. Three that's, records. Three yeah. that's a good one. I haven't yet listened to it from beginning to end, so I've got time to do that. As it's much as I love it, it's epic. It's epic. It is epic. Yeah. One last question. Yes. As a man who owns a shit ton of records, what's your holy grail that you haven't been able to find? That I haven't been able to find. Actually, well, it's little obscure ones. I got this record I, I on eBay last week. Actually, I don't do eBay very much, but there's someone said to me, there's this record I'm looking for. It's from, I think it's from... Um, Kansas, and it's a seven-inch by a group called Kalima, and it's basically a record that K-U-L-E-M-A? K-A-L-I-M-A. Okay. And there was a group called Kalima in Manchester, but this is the different one. And this song, um, I heard a DJ called Motor City Drum Ensemble play on a mixtape a couple of years ago, and it sounds like the ultimate Royers ballad that Royers never wrote at his peak time of when he was working with people like Ethel Beatty and D.D. Bridgewater. That kind of... Uh, um, yeah, searching type of period, and it's by Google Kalima, and I put a bid in for it, and I've never gone very, very I've never gone more than two hundred quid, um, two hundred pounds, sterling, um, and um, and it unfortunately went for like one thousand five hundred dollars last yeah. minute. Some bloke found I don't know, it just really annoyed me because no one knows this record. But so mu- two hundred's the most you've ever paid for a no, record. No, I've paid two thousand records for pounds for rec- for Brazilian records by Jose Pratis called um, called um, Tam Tam Tam, which is a it's the it's the basis to Jorge Ben's Mashkanada record that we all know and love, ah. and everyone thought that Mash that Jorge Ben wrote it. Back was actually. it Reg- Jose oh. Pretis wrote it, but he but Jorge Ben got the benefit. Damn, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be so boring. You, no, <laughs> really no, I I sound boring. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Nah, nah, you no, no, okay. just right okay. second. But. Now, do you have Stone Bowen? The C, this, the the Stone, uh, the CTI. It was a Japanese only. It's like the hardest CTI record to find. It's um, JJ Johnson. That's what he really wanted to ask you yeah. in the beginning. And that Kai, sounds amazing, though. It's JJ Johnson and Kai winding. Uh, you know, J and K. And is the there strings and stuff, or was it quite a straightforward recording? I, I. Do I don't. Know? I don't know. It's from 1970. I don't. Wow, never heard it. You can't. You can't hear it online or anything. CTI, Creed Taylor. You need to get him on here. Yeah, but he's, he's like in his 90s though. So. No. Yeah, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have one more question. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the longest Do you know the in the history. <laughs> no, Giles. I thank you very much for coming on the show. <laughs> All right, so on behalf of uh, Questlove Supreme uh, with Laia and Boss Bill and Unpaid Bill and Fon Ticolo and Sugar Steve and Unpaid Bill, which I said already, uh, this is Questlove and Giles Peterson. We thank you. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.